I love the Juzak family. They are family to us. We were blessed, our family, blessed and privileged to be in um, Burnsville, Minnesota, Minneapolis area, Twin Cities area for 21 months of our lives. And it was just a sweet, sweet time. And we have a, a family in Minnesota. I never thought this Texas, Texas boy would say that. But we got family in uh, Minnesota. We come to love Minnesota and uh, the people at Stonebridge Church. Pastor Kurt Juzak is a great man of God, and uh, just just thrilled to call him friend. Uh, he was a blessing, and is a blessing to my life, like a brother, like a brother. Brother Don, Dr. Don Crabtree, Pastor Philip's still out, I think. Pastor Philip's still out. So these, these four men are a, a, a part of a group. Uh, I guess I should say the four of us are a part of a group. We, we meet, have met for the last six years, at least once a month, we meet, we fellowship, and we encourage each other, and they're a, a great blessing to my life. And so through that call, was that almost six, year, six years ago, I guess it was, Pastor Kurt, and this is how it, this is how it all happened. Um, I, I was working in my home in uh, Kentucky, and my phone rang, and it said Paul Mason. So Pastor Paul Mason is one, one of the guys in our little group. And my phone said Paul Mason. I pick it up and I think I'm talking to Paul Mason, you know, having a conversation. And it's actually Kurt Juzak. So somehow Paul Mason pocket dialed our, our little group. And um, it's just me and Pastor Kurt on the phone and we're talking. And we finally realized, hey, Paul didn't call us. Uh, it, it's just the two of us. So we ended up on like a 30-minute phone call. I think he had food in the microwave when that happened, if I remember right. And that, that started a relationship and uh, we, we wound up landing in, in Minnesota uh, in 2018 and just had a, a wonderful, wonderful season there. Came to love this family. They're, they're our family. And uh, Kurt has been a brother that sticks closer to, than a, a mother to me. Uh, 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 what, is that right? <laughs> Come on. I ruined a horrible introduction. Man. What in the world am I saying? Let's get on with this thing. <laughs> We're brothers from another mother. There you go. And I'm a brother that sticks closer than, a, <laughs> my mother. than your mother. This is going, I said that, didn't I? This is going backwards. Yes. They know what you so mean. So put your hands together and welcome Pastor Kujusak. Thank you, Thank you <laughs> Love you. I'm going to shirt that says that. I have never had an introduction like that before. Um, so great to be here. I had to, I had to lose my jacket. I don't know if it was uh, the remnant fire of the Holy Spirit from that worship service, or my Minnesota blood is beginning to know what season it is, and it's thickening and getting ready for what's coming. Uh, I believe it was the former. I really appreciate your worship team. Thank you. I cannot, get, I cannot get enough reminders of knowing how good God is. He's a good, good God. He's a good God. We're so uh, blessed to be here, down here visiting our Indiana family, the Hayes, and uh, I've been to Return Church a few times now and uh, have gotten to meet and, and uh, know many of you. Uh, we love you like, a, like another church that... Uh, God has, it was, the, it was a divine butt dial, if I've ever, ever heard one. And we give God the glory for that. A amen. Um, I want to introduce you to my wife that's not sure she's still married to me because we have had three grandchildren this year. When you want to talk about the goodness of God, uh, three gen So, uh, Julie, would you stand so people know who you are? Just as Julie, she's the... Grandmother of three babies this year, and uh, uh, yes, we are still married. I am, we, we, we live together, and we do this together, so uh, so blessed, as I said, to be here, and uh, we have our son and his wife and our, our first uh, grandchild with us down here as well. We also have three daughters married, two more grandchildren, and uh, when I think about the goodness of God, I think about all four of our ch children saved, serving in their local churches. I've said this to Julie, if I don't do another thing in life, I'm going to die a blessed, happy, fulfilled man. 
knowing that our children are serving the Lord. I give a lot of credit to my wife. We homes- she homeschooled. I was just uh, the come-home superintendent and principal and dealt with those things, but uh, Julie homeschooled our four kids. And just talking about, I could talk about the goodness of God all night, but I want to get into this great theme that uh, has been chosen for this conference, that the fields are white. And the theme verse that says in John 4, 35, do not... Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And I was praying about this, and and we were uh, in uh, western Wisconsin, and uh, it was early one morning. We were on our way down to uh, 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 one of our friends' church to install a new pastor down there in uh, uh, the Ellsworth area. And we're driving through these rolling uh, hills and, and, and roads, and sure enough, the sun is coming up and just glistening over the top of those wheat fields. It was literally white. And I had never really thought about that or heard about that before until I was, you know, looking at this and pondering this, knowing that uh, we, we maybe were, uh, the next day, that farmer was going to come through, and he was going to bring his harvesters in. He was going to bring the harvest into the storehouse. And just a picture of, of, of what that is. You know, uh, in this story, Jesus was bringing clarity to this Samaritan woman's concept of God. Uh, tonight, I, I realizing, I, I'm, I'm going to encourage all of us. I hope that we're all able to be built up in the most holy faith according to the authority of the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. Are we in agreement with that? And then Sunday, uh, again, I asked, blessed to be able to speak more on uh, uh, being a mission-minded church, but I'm hoping to encourage uh, all of us with the word of the Lord tonight. But uh, I think how, how all of this relates to the exact world that we live in, wherever that world is. If it's in Japan or Mexico or Taiwan or, or wherever our world is, there's people all around us that have a concept of God. Just like this Samaritan woman uh, at the well, and as you read through that story, you see something that took place in this woman. It was a revelation of who Jesus was, and a boldness overtook her, a boldness that, that caused many to come to faith in Christ. As she went back to their city and said, you will, you, you've got to meet who I've met. I've, I've met Jesus Christ. I've met the, the Messiah. And so I, I've been convinced for uh, quite a while now that in order to be faithful to God, in obedience that we all want to be, uh, it, we have to become bold. We, we have to become bold. Uh, in Stonebridge Church, this beginning of this year, our theme has been gracious boldness. Gracious boldness. Let's all try to be bold with the grace of God covering our lives, what we are thinking, what we are saying, but to live life with a bold witness by the power of the Holy Spirit. Boldness, to stand for truth and righteousness and to declare and proclaim to the world who God is and all that he's done and all that he's doing and, and proclaiming all that he's going to be doing. And I know this, living in 2022, it takes boldness to live for Christ, a supernatural boldness because we are not fighting against flesh and blood, are we? But principalities and powers of the air, rulers of darkness, wickedness in high places, that's what we're fighting against. And so we fight against it with the boldness that comes not from ourselves, but that comes from the authority of the Word of God and from the power of the Holy Spirit that is dwelling in those that have repented, put their faith and trust in Jesus. I've never heard, why do we need to be bold all of a sudden? Well, the world has no problem being bold. There's no hidden agenda anymore. It's out front, out in the open, and, and we are at war for our culture, for our kids, for the kingdom of God. I've never heard of so much false, dumb, bold speech in all my life as I have in the last few years. I don't care what it is, news and uh, podcasts, talk, talk shows, uh, I, I'm not... You can, get, you can get frustrated pretty good. I appreciate what Pastor Chad was saying. Put that stuff off to the side. Let, let's, focus on, let's focus on the goodness of God. Let's focus on who he is. And so uh, some of you might be saying, but Pastor, I'm just not a bold person. This is not who I am. 
Well, let me, let me share a, a few things before we get into our text tonight about what boldness is not. Well, boldness is not. This, this boldness that I'm speaking about tonight, it's not based on personality. It's not based on it. It's, it's some that say, I, I just, that's just not how I'm wired. You know, those bold people, they just have big mouths. They just like to talk a lot, and they're not afraid to uh, say, they, they have a loud voice. They, they, just, they just open their mouths, and these things come out. It's, it's, boldness for the Lord is not about personality. Boldness for the Lord is not based on intelligence or ability. Because if it was either of those, I'd be still sitting in the seat, and someone else would be up here. Well, that person, you, it's just, they're just so smart and brilliant. I mean, they're highly educated. They just know so much. They can, they can speak to anything. That, that person is so gifted and so articulate with, with the words that they are able to say. No, no, but boldness comes from what is spoken about in Acts 4. We're not, we're not, this is not our main text, but Acts 4, 13. Boldness comes from being with Jesus. Spending some time with the Lord. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. And they realized one thing, the Bible talks. They realized one thing. If, if, I hope if anybody realize, realizes anything about my life, that it's been, that I've been with Jesus. Oh, Christ be magnified in everything that we say and do this boldness that, that I'm talking about is it's not based on a title or a position because many say, well, of course you can speak with boldness. You're, you're a pastor or you're a, you're a leader of a ministry. Who's going to listen to me? I'm just, a, I'm just a nobody. Well, let me boldly uh, declare a, something here. Uh, in, in this bold message that I am uh, going to be proclaiming here tonight, it's because of three reasons and three reasons only. Number one, it's because I was invited to be up here by the pastor. But number two, it's because I'm going to be speaking from this book, the Holy Bible, and its authority and its boldness. And thirdly, because I have the Holy Spirit and his authority dwelling in me. Do I have anyone else with the Holy Spirit dwelling in you tonight? Think about that. When the Holy Spirit of God joins in with our spirit, if we're made up of body, soul, and spirit, I'm one-third Holy Ghost. Just marvel at that for, 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 for a bit. This boldness is of the Lord. It's not because of any of those reasons I mentioned. It has to do with who we're talking about. Who we're talking about. The content or the message that's being spoken. Because if anyone has a meaningful uh, narrative, a, a meaningful story, a meaningful message to proclaim, it's the child of Christ. It's the child of God. We, we've got something worth boldly speaking about. Amen. So boldness, let me just, I, I, I'm a definition guy, so we, what are we talking about? And, and literally in, in, in the Greek uh, original uh, manuscript, they're talking about this boldness is freedom in speaking. It's unreservedness in speech or expressing yourself. I like this sub-definition, sub without ambiguity or indirectness. Boldness is just speaking out that which is within. And from out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if Jesus and the Holy Spirit are in your heart, that should be coming out of our mouth. Amen. Boldly. Boldly. Not arrogantly. Graciously. With, with, with love, but yet authority. Authority, supreme authority. We know all authority comes from the Lord, and it's coming from the supreme authority. Boldness is also free and fearless confidence. It's cheerful courage. It's assurance. Assurance of the one who gives us the boldness that we need today. This theme passage in that fourth chapter of John, verse 22, Jesus tells this woman at the well, hits her head on with where she's at when he says, you worship what you do not know. And here's a concept of God. See, people already have faith, and people are already worshiping something they, they, they know. 
Ben and Sarah, those 124 million people in Japan, they already have faith, and they're already worshiping something. They just don't have their faith in, in Jesus Christ, and they're not worshiping the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But God sends his messengers with a boldness that comes from within the abiding Holy Spirit. And I want to just talk uh, about another uh, example of boldness tonight that bringing truth to uh, some certain people's concept of who God was. And that's the Apostle Paul in the 17th chapter of Acts when he's addressing these philosophers at Athens. Last night, Paul had, uh, uh, Pastor Chad rather, he had referenced Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth uh, in chapter 4, I think he was using. He also says it in the first verse of chapter 11, imitate me. That's a bold statement Paul made. But he said, imitate me as I imitate Christ, as I follow Christ. So tonight, we're going to just look at Paul, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm encouraging you, let's imitate him. Can we do that? We're going, to imitate, we're going to imitate Paul, and I'm not sure if there's a greater example of boldness in all of the Bible. Uh, someone's, someone's, I know someone's thinking about Elijah and, and the 850 prophets of Baal. I know somebody is. But, but listen to Paul five times. Five times he was whipped with 39 stripes, three times beaten with rods, three times shipwrecked, once stoned, and, and then having experienced many, many perils. This man was bold. And let me just get right to it in case you, you, you zone out, fall asleep, or start thinking about something else. Here's where Paul's boldness came from. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That's the boldness that Paul was talking about. So he provides this amazing and I think powerful outline of how to be a bold witness for the Lord. No matter, no matter where we are in this world, we are called to be a bold witness for the Lord. And so we learn in, in this chapter, the Apostle Paul, he'd been, he'd been traveling with Silas and, and Timothy, and they were preaching Jesus and him crucified. And they, uh, they, they passed through these other towns of uh, Amphipolis and Apollonia, and they had come to Thessalonica to do the same thing. And uh, I'm, I'm leading up to verse 17. Uh, but they had to be sent on to Berea by, by their brethren because of a rioting mob that was formed to apprehend them. The correlations of our modern times and what was going on then is amazing. But at the same time, is it really? There is nothing new under the sun, is there? Humans are going to be humans, and thank God, God is going to be God. And so they, they, couldn't, they couldn't find them, this mob. They couldn't find who they were looking for. So, but what they did do is similar to what we, we, we see going on today. They set all the city or all the nation or all the world, as I'm thinking of it, in an uproar and troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city. And so Paul, having success impacting the people of Berea with the preaching of the word of God there, they heard wind of that. So he had to be sent on again because this angry mob was going to continue to go after him, we don't fight against flesh and blood, but against principality and power of the air. Because they came once again to do to stir up the crowds against this great message that he was preaching. So Silas and Timothy remained in Berea while Paul went ahead to Athens. And that brings us to the 17th chapter, Acts 17, beginning in verse 16, where he gives us this great outline. Can we pray? Can we pray with me, Father. Thank you. Thank you for the boldness that you provide for us, Lord, by your Holy Spirit. Father, I, I pray that the same zeal and excitement and heart that we have when we're together, gathered together in church worshiping you, Lord, I pray that you empower us with that same thing. So as we're, as we're doing church, you'll empower us with all those same things to go be the church, Lord, wherever we are being sent, God. I pray for a stir that the Holy Spirit would quicken and stir within us a Holy, Holy Spirit boldness to proclaim the truth of God 
wrapped in love and grace. Father, I pray that our hearts will receive this word and that it'll bear good and lasting fruit as we walk out this walk of faith and follow your voice in obedience, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for all that is said and done. Let it go to glorify and honor your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. As I was looking at this uh, narrative here in this 17th chapter of what Paul was doing, it was, it's amazing how he just, he just merged his way right into the lifestyle of these philosophers and that which was going on in Athens. And I, I was thinking about that and living in a major metropolitan area, uh, I was equating merging onto an interstate freeway uh, to what it is to uh, merge into someone else's life. Not always the easiest thing to do. Uh, they're just, especially the pace of life nowadays. Everybody's busy and everybody's so fast, and, and I'm already starting to uh, say, well, you know, it was just two or three years ago, and someone will correct me and say, no, that was seven, that was seven or eight years ago. This, this, this pace is, is crazy. Talk about redeeming the time. Uh, but, but everybody's just busy trying to get to their destination. Everybody's in a hurry. And so we got a couple different kinds of people. Some just go for it, right? They just come down that on-ramp, and they're gassing it, and there's no blinker. There's no look over the shoulder. They're just coming in hard and fast, and, and, and look out. I don't know. Probably causing wrecks. Probably causing destruction. It's no way to merge into somebody's life. There's others that actually never get up to speed and, and they actually get to the end of that on-ramp and they're going to merge into this and, and, and they come to a complete stop. And they just get paralyzed, I don't know, full of doubt and fear. And well, You're not going to merge into anybody's life uh, approaching the busy freeway of their life in, in that way either. But if you keep at it, if you keep at it and you learn how to merge into that, that flowing traffic. You do you, you, you over and over and over. Just as God gets better and better, you're going to get better and better at merging into somebody's life. Merging into their life with the greatest, greatest uh, uh, piece of news that they've ever heard, and that's that God loves them. He sent His only begotten Son on the cross to die and pay the penalty of their sin that he's got a divine purpose for their life, and it's to bring him glory. And, and I don't have to tell you, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Every day that you're waking and giving glory to God, he is blessing you and blessing you and blessing you. We give him praise for that. So, so for those uh, IBC friends of mine, and I wish Brother Cook was here to appreciate this. I'm going to use this alliteration to describe in this passage of Scripture where Paul does five profound things. He was provoked in his spirit, and so he proclaimed or preached who God was. And then when he perceived that they were religious, he then prescribed them the correct object of faith. And finally, he promised an assurance. So we read in verse 16, now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to uh, or, or was full of idols. Provoked here means he was spiritually stirred, irritated, even aroused to an anger. And I don't know if anybody is with me on this, but these last few years, I, I've been provoked to a righteous indignation over some things. Especially as, we, uh, you know, I'm a little, we're a little bit past that uh, uh, education uh, ages for our children, but, but what is going on in the public school system ought to make, if you're not upset and angry about that, we need to talk. We need, we need to come to Jesus meeting now. And, and so uh, I, I think it's here as Paul, we, it, was, it provoked him because of what was going on in this area at Athens, full of temples and monuments and statues and altars and idols, all representing some god or some concept of who these people thought God was that was supposed to bring them protection and, and prosperity and, and, and goodness of life. When Paul saw that the whole city was given over to these idols, it, it bothered him even to the level of his spirit as it should if the Holy Spirit is dwelling within us. He knows the history of the consequences of idol worship very well. Uh, his Jewish ancestors, ancestry over the centuries, he, he knew it very well. As a matter, it, it, it cost 70 years of captivity in Babylon at the least. 
modern idols, how many that we have nowadays, just as everything has increased, everything has increased. When I was growing up, I'm going to date myself a little bit. When, when, I was, when I was growing up, there was, I think, three kinds of bread, white, wheat, and raisin. No, four, pumpernickel, that, that, that really, really dark one. Cereal, I mean, Rice Krispies, Cheerios, cornflakes. Corn we got some people my age, right? right. Anyways, go to the grocery store now, they got an entire section for bread. I, I've never seen so many different kinds of bread. An entire section for, for cereals. Pick, pick your subject. There's so many of everything, and it's no different with, with idols and, and little God, God's little G that keep rising up, trying to take the place, uh, trying to substitute for the one true and only God that we're talking about here in the Bible. Many don't have carved images or statues on our tables or mantles, but many still have these little gods in their life. Ultimately, he's speaking about the things of, of this world. Anything, anything that people are putting their faith in other than Jesus Christ and Him crucified is an idol. And so these people here, not, not that they don't recognize them as a threat, but they're acknowledging in this passage that they're unknown to them. Unknown gods and idols. The danger, I think, here is with demons that can become the real object of worship without even realizing it. I don't... You, you, now, when you are merged and doing life with somebody, you can start talking about this stuff. But if you're going to come crashing into that, that freeway talking about uh, demons and hell, you, you, might, you might scare a few people. But when you're doing life with them, you're able to put your arm around them, you're able to love them. They can talk about what, what really is the matter. And the problem is not in Washington, D.C., or it's not in the school board. The problem is that there is an accuser of the brethren and a, and a, and a father of lies that are deceiving many, many people from who the one true and only God is. And so having this understanding, Paul was moved by the Spirit to be a bold witness because at the center of Paul's life was God, capital G, capital O, capital D, as he was preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified. And so that's what he was doing. He was provoked to righteous anger because of all of the idol worship that was going on around him. And so what did he do? He preached and reasoned or proclaimed Jesus. Verse 17 goes on. It says, therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Then cert, uh, certain Epicurean or Stoic philosophers encountered him. And some said, what does this babbler want to say? Others, others said, he, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign God because he preached or proclaimed to them Jesus and the resurrection. I won't take the time to go into this Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, but I'll just speak for this nation that God's called me to and that I'm serving him in the United States of America. We got all kinds of Epicure Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. Those that are seekers after pleasure and pleasures only. Those that are trying to do things in their own will and strength uh, with self-control. Just grasping and reaching for something that's going to give them, give them some, some, some substance in their life, some, some meaning, purpose, and value. So because of this provocation or stirring of his spirit, he, he proclaimed to those in the synagogue, those in the churches, and anyone and, 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 uh, and anywhere, as he refers to in, in the marketplace, about who Jesus was and that he and he alone is the only one that is worthy to be worshipped. His convictions were his motivation to proclaim not just what he knew, but to release, but to release what was alive within him and it was being quickened in his spirit. Whether it be to his fellow believers in the church, in the synagogue that he was in, or those that happened to be there in the marketplace. That which many, 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 most of the people are. Whether it's the merchants the, uh, in business, where the government affairs are, are being decided, where philosophies are still debated, where citizens are, are trading, where entertainers are watched. This, uh, this world is full of these. And then he's encountered by these philosophers. Philosophy. 
I, I, uh, my, my uh, college education is broke up in two segments, and they're about 30 years apart. So in my first, my first phase, uh, I was getting my generals out of the way, and I remember taking a class at the University of Minnesota Duluth. It was the philosophy of philosophers. And I thought, this is going to hurt. It, this, this is going to be... This is going to be brain pain for, for a whole semester. And I was never so, it was the worst grade I got other than the F I got in psychology because I decided to go ride my motorcycle instead of taking my final. Yeah, this is, anyways. Philosophy is the study of ideas about knowledge, truth, nature. And here's one where so many get caught up in, the meaning of life. The meaning of life. And so these, these, these philosophers, they probably weren't sure whether, whether Paul was a, a philosopher or an entertainer, but they were, they were either going to debate about, uh, about who they were, the meaning of life, what gives us purpose, meaning, and value, or else they're going to just, uh, let's fulfill some of our pleasures, and maybe this guy's just an entertainer. Maybe he's a stand-up comedian. They, they, I don't think they knew who he was. But the arrogant answer probably indicated that, that they thought the latter because they said, what is this babbler? What does this babbler even want to say? Others said he, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods. The reason is, is because he preached about this God named Jesus and about some, some resurrection. But this, this, is, this is where discipleship, as Pastor Zach was talking about this morning, this is where your and my life, where it, where it gets real, because uh, we're not always with each other. We're not always in the, in the manifested presence of God. He's not always sweeping down the aisles and through the rows. Sometimes we're all alone in the busy of the hectic work week uh, with chaos going on in our family. But this is really where it is. This is a lifestyle that we live. And something that Paul was already doing and was good at. So the subject of Jesus and the resurrection, it applies to every situation and circumstance you find yourself in. If I want to encourage myself in anything, whatever subject's going on, whatever difficulty, whatever trouble, all I do is I picture an empty cross on the backdrop of it. And all of a sudden, it doesn't seem so bad. Because like me, we were all once on our way to an eternal hell without knowing this Jesus Christ that Paul was talking about. And so Jesus in his story, his finished works, the very centrality of, of Paul's life. And so to Paul, no matter who you are, where you are, what you are, how you are, he, he let us know in that first letter to the Corinth that, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That will put everything into perspective. All the time and every time. Going on as we read on in verse 19. And uh, they took him and they brought him to uh, Areopagus saying, may we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak? For you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. So they bring him to this place called Areopagus, also known as uh, Mars, Mars Hill, not only a place where the city official held their trials for, uh, for offenses and crimes, but it was also this public place of, of discussion and, and debate, philosophical debates especially. And verse 21 says, For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or hear something new. How many people do you know that spend their time doing nothing else than searching for something new, something that'll give them uh, value, something that'll bring meaning into their life? Amen. Developing a concept of God of who or who their, who their God of choice might be. It sounds a lot like Americans spending our time doing nothing else but talking about looking for, searching for some new thing that's going to give me some satisfaction in this life that I cannot find any in. Why can't it? None of these other gods have been able to meet my needs. I know some of you have been saints since birth. I, 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 I can't speak for that. I had a good start. I think we all do. And then all of a sudden, sudden, we get to that age of accountability. And we have to make some decisions and choices for ourselves. We come to the realization that we've got a free will. And mine was 
I, I, wrecked my, I wrecked my will. I'm the oldest of four. My parents were 19 when they had me, and I got to those teenage years, and me and dad started doing this. And that's not good. That's not good. And so I ran hard for seven years. I ran hard for seven years. I've been on the cliff of eternity many, many times. I'm not saying that to, to, uh, for hyperbole. I have literally been there. But by the grace of God, by the mercy of God, by the love of God, he knew me before I was formed in my mother's womb. He chose me. I was destined, and he put a hook in my jaw and took me back right off of that place of uh, that edge of eternity. He drug me out of the deepest well that I had ever experienced in my life. Somehow, miraculously, he placed me on my knees in my parents' living room with nobody else home, and I repented and gave my life back to Jesus. And I said, God, forgive me for throwing away my life. Thank you for giving it back. I'm running towards you, and I'm never turning back. Can I just brag on God here a little bit? The goodness of God has never stopped chasing me one day. People don't need a concept of God. They need to know the true and only living God. They need to know who this Jesus is. And they need bold ministers of the gospel to tell them, to tell them why. Centuries of this practice has now led us to this period that we find ourselves in called postmodernism. Actually, began in the late 20th century after, you guessed it, modernism, as you look at these things. Uh, postmodernism is simply a philosophy. Here we go with this philosophy. That class back in uh, uh, UMD really stuck with me. Uh, but postmodernism is a philosophy that affirms no objective or absolute truth especially in matters of religion and spirituality. Doesn't that like, not sound like America in 2022? And I, again, missionaries, I can only speak for America. I haven't served uh, on, on these foreign lands, although my bucket list includes going to uh, these foreign lands and visiting missionaries. That's on my bucket list. I, I hope God provides that. But it, it, it produces this thing called pluralism, this doctrine of multiplicity, a theory that there are more than one or more than two or uh, all kinds of different ultimate reality. It's a theory where reality is composed of plurality or, or numerous, numerous things. And this is the danger that we face all across this land and why I don't take this lightly. Because I know Pastor Chad personally. We spent almost every day next to each other for almost two years. And he wouldn't just let anybody in this pulpit, and that's why I'm so honored. That's why I'm so humbled. We have to be ultra careful about who we're letting in our pulpits, about who we're letting teach our children. Because the, 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 the false doctrines, the false... There's this plurality of mixing in. Oh, they might talk about Jesus. They might talk about the resurrection. They might talk about the Bible. But listen, uh, two truths and a lie is still a lie. We need the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help us, God, especially in this day. So uh, this, this, this time that we're, we're, we're stuck in these kinds of ideologies, and now we're seeing it, lifestyles that are not only just being accepted and promoted, they're jamming them down our throats. This is the very thing. Nothing is new under the sun. Very same types of things were going on in Athens back in that first, uh, first century. So uh, he was provoked that caused him to proclaim the truth, and as we read on, verse 22, he now perceives that these people were very religious. He's merged into their life, and he knows he's getting to know them, and he understands that they're very religious people. Verse 22, it says, Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things, all things, you are very religious. Religious in the Greek actually means superstitious. So they probably got all puffed up and popped a couple buttons on whatever they wore back then and said, yes, I am quite the religious man. It means superstitious. It means irrational, gullible, illogical. 
Verse 23, it's uh, first half of that verse, for as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. And I, I see this inscription all over the place. Paul leverages this opportunity to name and describe who this unknown God is. This is brilliant by, by the Apostle Paul. Oh, he's an un, oh, you have an unknown God? You haven't named it with some crazy name and they haven't asked you to sacrifice your children or, or to do some other ludicrous, illogical uh, uh, thing? I'm going to tell you who this unknown God is. He, he, merges, he merges into the freeway of their life as, and he says it's the only one who can really, really give your life meaning, purpose, and value. It's the only one that can protect and provide and sustain you and your families. This postmodern society, our culture does exactly that. We're relating to and idolizing, literally worshiping a plurality of, of ideas and opinions and, and thoughts and, and even, even people. But we know this. All mankind was created to be in a relationship and to worship. I don't, I don't get, I get provoked to, to allow the Holy Spirit to rise up within me so that I can proclaim the gospel because I'm perceiving these people are simply doing the best they can with what they have. They're lost. They, they're, they're deceived. They're spiritually dead, the Bible describes them. If you're, if you're in your sins and trespasses and not in relationship with Christ, you are spiritually dead. I wouldn't expect them to do anything else. And so that's why we come with mercy and grace and love. We don't come flying down that ramp doing uh, 85 and just ma making our way in into, their, into their lives. They're going to get offended. If they're going to get offended, please offend them with the truth of the gospel. Let their spirit get offended, not, not their intellect, not their, not, their, not their soul, mind, will, and emotions. There's a big difference. Because when the spirit gets offended, it, be it, it becomes convicted, and that's a good thing. Not condemned. Convicted. And then the Holy Spirit is able to do a work that only he can do. And so there's this natural path of mankind or flesh, as we call it. It's going to establish a God on their own uh, by default. But thankfully, there's another default. And he is revealing himself, and he always has, and he always will. Romans 1.20 says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. You don't have to be a theology major with a master's degree or have your doctorate for, for, for you to speak the truth in love to the people that God has sent you to, to the people that has come across your path, to the people that the Holy Spirit is stirring within you now to be bold with the gospel. I'm giving you the authority to be bold with this truth. In these last days, we now deal with this moral and ethical relativism and our society's attempts of redefining the standards of what's right and wrong, what's good and bad, what's male and female. I mean, how, how, how long are we going to let this burn out of control if we don't take a righteous, bold stand for truth yes, and God's ultimate authority? So we as Paul need to be provoked in our spirits so that we proclaim the truth of who Jesus is because we're perceiving that people are religious trying to figure things out on themselves. They're superstitious. They're gullible. They're, they're, they, they make illogical decisions because they are spiritually dead. We perceive that our society is worshiping a lot of unknown gods in their world. And so we imitate Paul. In verse 23, he goes on. It says, therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, it's him that I'm proclaiming to you. I'm proclaiming the unknown God that you search for. His name is Jesus Christ. And he goes on to this prescribed truth in these next verses, powerfully defining who the one true and only God is. Verse 24, God, who made the world and everything in it, 
since he is Lord of heaven and earth. He does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives life to all, breath and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and, and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Verse 28, for in him, familiar verse here, we live. Say it with me. We move. We have our being. As also some of your own poets have said, for we are his offspring. See, people, they have no excuse. They have this innate knowledge within them, but being spiritually dead, it causes them to deny the one true and only living God. They need a bold proclamation of the truth, a bold proclamation. Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son, not a created being, who took himself took upon himself this humanity. He took on human nature, both divine nature and, and a human nature as he was here for those 33 years. Ne he never, never relinquishing who he was. There's a false teaching out there that, that God gave up his divinity and walked this earth as, a, as, as a, only in human nature. It's a false teaching. He held both divine and human nature and that he is the only one worthy to be followed and worshiped. He's the only one and only whose name under heaven given by men which they must be saved, as Acts 4 and 12 tells us. And so finally, Paul promises. Paul promised us an assurance when he promised these philosophers in Athens. In verse 29, it says, Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. I, I, I just, somebody was saying this, we need to simplify things. I think that might have been Pastor Zach this morning. Just simplify things. Shut off all of the noise and the chaos that is going on around us and just find that alone time. Find that secret place in, in the presence of God. Realizing that you were created in the likeness and the image of God. Seek him and he will be found. Draw near to him and he promises to draw near to us knowing him. This is not something that man can devise or, or construct on his own. This is just a, 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 a hum, humbling time of, of crying out to the true and only living God, and he will hear you, and he will answer your cry. We are all created in his image. In verse 30, he, he says, Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but he now commands that all men everywhere to repent. It always comes back to where it started, doesn't it? John the Baptist, what did he say? Repent! And believe Jesus Christ. We don't real Jesus. He spoke a he spoke a gospel of repentance, a changing of the mind, a turning a turning from the ways. And so these, he now commands all men everywhere to repent. Or to to repent. All men everywhere. When I read this, all men everywhere, the fields that are white under harvest just jumped out at me. All men everywhere, in Piedras Negras, in Eagle Pass, in Mexico, and I won't try to say some of those cities because you'll think I'm speaking in tongues and I'll need an interpreter. In Japan, in, in, in China, in Taiwan, wherever, in, in Clarksville, in Greenville, in Minneapolis, in Burnsville, wherever God has sent you. Because there was a time when darkness covered the earth, but since Jesus has come, he's the light of the world. The light of the world. And when he shines down on those fields of harvest, they, they glisten white. Very difficult to ignore. He sits at the right hand of God, meaning that that position of authority that he gives us, that he empowers us with to not just come together in these conferences and, and on Sundays and do church, but he empowers us to go out and be the church, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And so now we're all responsible for, for, for what has been revealed and all are, all are left to respond by either accepting 
or rejecting God's plan of redemption. Verse 31, because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. And he has given assurance. He has promised assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. Jesus finished work on the cross. Aren't you grateful for it? His resurrection from the grave, the evidence, that's the assurance that we have, able to do the same. The one difference of all the world religions, they don't have a God that came down and offered to sacrifice at all. They all ask you to sacrifice everything for them, dead gods. They don't have a God that defeated death. He certainly, they don't have a God that if he didn't defeat death, they didn't have a God that defeated sin and the power of sin in our lives. We have this promise of assurance that that's who we have and that we're able to give that promise and assurance to each and every person that he sends us to. There's no other man, no other religion, no other philosophy will ever produce this boldness that you and I have in God's promise of eternal life to those who confess and believe he is who he says he is. Wrapping this up, these last couple of verses, and when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked while others said, will you, well, we will hear you again on this matter. You know, let me just encourage us. Planting seed is one of the glorious joys of following Jesus. Just planting seed. Some plant, some water. Who gives the increase? The Lord will give the increase. Be faithful in your seeding. Be, be, be faithful in your planting. Be, be faithful in this thing. And that, that time will come. As Pastor Chad brought about it last night, God is going to use his church in these last days to bring in a harvest that we didn't even labor for. But we are planting seed and watering and bringing forth good fruit for the generation behind us to bring in a harvest that they did not even labor for. He's called us all to be a part of this great and glorious work because he died that some might come to salvation. Yeah, you're recognizing some false teaching there, aren't you? No, he died that all men might be saved. Let's at least give all men. Let's, awake, let's awaken their spirits. Let's awaken their, their conscience let's, uh, that they have. They're without excuse knowing this. Let's use the boldness that comes from the Holy Spirit of God to quicken within them to say, now is the day of reckoning. It is time to decide. You either accept him or reject him, and it's going to play out in all of eternity. I'm going to end with this quote. I don't even know who said it. I might have. I, I, I found this out of one of my messages. But, but in case I didn't, I'm not claiming it. It said, it's talking about boldness here. And boldness and confidence are uh, synonymous. But confidence or boldness comes from the fact that the message you share is God's truth. And the most effective people in sharing their faith are those who are confident or bold in believing their faith. Do you believe it tonight? Do you have a Holy Ghost conviction in the very depths of your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions, that he is who he says he is? That he has called you and he has sent you and he has empowered you to be bold with the absolute truth of the gospel that will melt the most hardened hearts and, and, and roughest Ombres. I spent 20 years on some of the roughest construction sites in the uh, uh, Minneapolis, Minneapolis areas. I have heard and seen it all, and I have also seen these same men uh, ask me to, to step aside in a lunch, and they bowed, their, they bowed their heads and were crying like babies in my truck, saying, will you pray for me? That's the power of the gospel, and that boldness that came on those days to be able to say that where, where God had sent me for a time now he sent me to a church to, 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 to equip them for the work of the ministry he sent me down here to Clarksville, Indiana to encourage you and inspire you with the authority and the power of the word of God to be bold with the gospel of Jesus Christ to whatever people he has sent you to amen, amen. let's give him glory Pastor Chad
Praise God. Let's stand together. Hallelujah. Amen. That is a good word. That is a word I'm going to file away. You know, I have these messages and these outlines that, to me, they become lenses. And you can, you can pull those things out and you can look at where you are, what you're involved in, and they help to reshape focus. There, there is such a beautiful outline right there in that message. This is a lens for us to look at our efforts as we're laboring to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who are around us. I mean, and I especially love that, that, that idea of merging into people's lives. That, such a beautiful... I mean, how, how many of you have ever had somebody like, come to that dead standstill right there? They don't know how to merge into the traffic, or, or they just zoom right out in front of you? I don't know how many times... I've been cut off several times this week by somebody like that driving. But to be able to learn to merge into people's lives in the right moment and minister the gospel of Jesus Christ. Romans says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the glad tidings of good news. And that, that, that so I don't think any of us preachers in here have pretty feet. <laughs> we probably got blisters and calluses and corns and all of it. It has nothing to do with our physical feet. The wording there is actually how right on time is the word of God fitly spoken. Being able to merge into people's lives and bring the word of Jesus to them. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. Thank you, Pastor Kurt. Amen. Amen. Just praise God. Amen. Amen. Right where you're at, would you just lift your hands and say, Father, make me bold. Give us boldness. Baptize us in boldness, Lord God. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I just pray for everyone, Lord God. I just pray for a boldness. I, I, I appreciate what Pastor Philip said one time, that this is not belligerence. Boldness is not belligerence. It's just the confidence of knowing who we are in Jesus. Lord, let us know who we are and let us know with such surety and confidence that this message that we have is truth. It's life for a dying world. And Lord, so give us a boldness. Every one of us, everyone in this room, give us a new boldness. Baptize us in boldness, Lord God, that we would be ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, as Pastor Kurt said, Lord, help us to see how to merge into people's lives, how to perceive where they're at. What is their worldview? What is their perception of God? And how can we step into that, Lord God, and declare to them Jesus? Lord, bring an anointing on us. Just thinking of the statistic, for every 83 church members in America, every year there's one convert. And I think about what, what Pastor Zach was saying this morning, how, for those of you that weren't here, he, he said if you were, he said, pretend this is a game. You, you take 10,000 churches that would win, win 1,000 people every year, and you pit them against one man who would make one disciple every year and teach them to make a disciple every year. Which side are you going to go for? You know, in our minds, we'd go for this 10,000 churches, 1,000 converts every year. But Pastor Zach showed us how that one man, I think he said it would be 600 years for those 10,000 churches to reach the entire world. How many years was it, Pastor Zach, for the one man, if you made a convert, who made a convert every year? 30 years. If all of us would make one convert every year and teach them to make one convert every year, who would make one convert every year, in 30 years we could win the world. Father, give us boldness to simply do what you've asked us to do, to simply to have enough confidence 
And what you've said, you've said to go out and to make disciples. Give us a confidence to obey that. Give us a boldness to step out into that. Make us, everyone, soul winners and disciple makers. Father, I thank you for it. I give you praise for it. We honor you. Our, our desire, Lord, is to see your kingdom come. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. I love and appreciate all of you. We're going to wrap up our service. I want to encourage you guys. Uh, the refreshments are still out downstairs, and I just want to encourage you to hang out. If you are a return church member and you haven't been able to get around these uh, guests that we have with us, I encourage you to go up to them and ask them, hey, where are you at? What are you doing? What do you need? How can we pray for you? And just get to know them. Amen? And I'm going to tell you what, it will... Some things are taught, some things are caught. And hanging out with these great men and women of God will change your life. Amen? So get around them. Amen? Praise God. God bless you. We hope to see all of you back here tomorrow morning at 930. Have a great, great evening.